Hi, I'm Ginny. And I'm Tim. And we are the, the Irreverends. Hey, everybody. Hey, we had such a big compliment this week that I want to tell you about. Somebody that I know, a new listener, who also happens to work in television. A listener nuevo. Listener nuevo said that it sounds like we are recording the podcast in the same room. That's nice. I know. And Particularly I said, given the fact we're both recording him in, in bedrooms right now with air conditioners <laughs> and all sorts of weird noises going on. Well, and one of the noises in the background is Hunter snoring. Yeah, that's always a good one. It is. It's one of our favorites. Uh, much better than the Hunter barking. But yeah. the Hunter snoring is just soothing and relaxing. So anyway, no, we are not in the same room. I am in Silver Spring, Maryland. And Tim, you are in? Phoenix, Arizona. Right. Till you move to Rhode Island. So anyway, yeah. there's that. So Oh, speaking of I, which, the, the big news on that end, you'll remember yeah. last week I mentioned the fact that, you know, there's the whole quarantine thing and we were worried about whether or not pizza. I'd actually be able to eat. Right. One the police of, come and check one on One of you. my future parishioners, after listening to the podcast episode, emailed me directly. Thank you, Heather, to let me know. <laughs> that Another the, listener, Nuevo. Nueva, in this case. Nueva. The quarantine oh, yes. uh, should be lifted on May 22nd. Oh. And that I will, in fact, be able to, you know, have food. Move about freely. But even if it is still in effect, they will make sure that they feed me. <laughs> well, and I owe you a local, local to you in, in Rhode Island, which is going to require some research, pizza dinner. Yeah, delivered you, you to you still guys. Have to, you still have to come through on that. I do. I, I know. I like no, pizza. Because it was so amazing. I and know. It, well, it besides. can't have cheese on it because otherwise, you know, no, it's know. terrible for Tanya. No, but, but I've eaten pizza with you before. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm I, on it. I get my weird weird pizza with no cheese. I know. But I, like all meats, like forget the cheese. Yeah, the cheese just, is just to hold the meats on. Every kind so of, why bother? Every kind of pork product <laughs> that they have is what goes on that pizza. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Say that as if it's a bad thing. Okay. To be honest, Tim, I'm hoping you're bringing it this week. You're hoping I'm bringing it? Like... It? Bring in... Bring it. Bring it. Because when I look at today's lessons... You're uninspired? I just go like, blah, 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 blah. Well, then I hope Um, that I can bring it too, I guess. I know. Well, I mean... We'll see. I mean, the advocate with a capital A, you know, as a lawyer, that always inspires me a a wee bit. But, um... Yeah. So, sort of a lawyer, also sort of like a godfather uncle. It's interesting. Yeah. But we can talk about that in a bit. Yeah. Okay. So, um, I read the Old Testament lesson first last week. All right. Then I will read the lesson, which is not, in fact, from the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible. Yes. My bad. But from Kukue the Mu. book of the Acts of the Apostles, episode two of Luke's two act book, two book set. Okay. Paul stood in front of the Areopagus and said, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown. This I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it. He who is Lord of heaven and earth does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, 
since he himself gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. From one ancestor he made all nations to inhabit the whole earth, and he allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live, so that they would search for God and perhaps grope for him and find him, though indeed he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we too are his offspring. Since we are God's offspring, we ought not to think that the deity is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of mortals. While God has overlooked the times of human ignorance, now he commands all peoples everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will have the world judged in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Okay, I totally love the comedy at the beginning of this. Love the comedy. You guys are so religious that as I was walking oh, that's around just, the city. That's classic rhetoric, right? You always, oh you always praise God. the person that you're debating with. So oh the, my God, to right. an unknown God. Yeah. All right. So the Areopagus is... The Areopagus, which I a, think I pronounced something a little slightly different you said than that. Areopagus. Yeah, originally, but that's, that part yeah. we'll edit out. So yeah. now everybody's wondering what... Because so, you redid it. <laughs> anyway, did it the Areopagus is a little hill right next to the Parthenon in Athens, the Acropolis, the the major hill that the Parthenine sits on. And that was a minor temple set aside for Ares, the god of war. But it was also the court of the Athens. The court. The court. So You mean you the might, court like courthouse? Yeah. Or the court like the, the court, um, courtyard, the, like where people would assemble. The courthouse. The courthouse. Okay. Kind of both actually. You know, it's where where Because like the gates in in Jerusalem, the gates yes. were both actually quite the gathering a bit. place and the court. Yeah, yeah this is okay. a, it's exactly the same. It's where the the who's who would come and and pass would judgment, mingle. right, mm. on things that were were happening. So Paul is wandering around in Athens, teaching about the way, and as Paul was wont to do, stirring up the crowds uh, based on his teaching, and so he was brought before the Areopagus Mm. to defend himself or to explain what he was doing right Mm -hmm. there's a there's a couple different modes of thought on it was he was this actually a trial or was this more like an initial bringing brought into the police precinct to explain yourself a little bit walking around in a banana suit or something yeah kind of like that only (laughs) you know as one does as one does especially back in ancient Athens Mm-hmm. And so this is Paul. The banana suit was common back then, or well, clearly calling people, I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, calling people to account for their ideas that were so I mean, much at variance. The, the the banana was a new world fruit, so they didn't even know what the hell a banana is. But you know, right? So wearing a banana suit would have been like completely suspect. Yeah. What would he have worn? I don't know. So this is him defending himself to this group of individuals who rightly could have had him arrested instead after this little segment they all start laughing at him over the idea of resurrection which they find just 
patently absurd. And they let him go, telling him, we would like to hear a little bit more about this resurrection business. And then rather than hanging out for them to hear a little bit more, Paul skedaddles. Mm-hmm. So that's he the realizes context. He just barely got away with it. Because I had always looked at it like Paul in his sort of arrogant, addressing everybody way. Like, I didn't ever think of this as a trial, but I didn't. Yeah. The fact of, of its place, its location mm-hmm. is the important bit Gives of you the context of course, that you need. He also It also tells us that Dionysius the Areopagite, who would have been like a judge, uh, was converted <laughs> by this particular thing, uh, along mm-hmm. with a woman named Damaris. So mm-hmm. this is an important thing for a couple different reasons. First, it's uh, rhetorically very Greek, right? So this is a place where you see that Luke is exceptionally exceptionally Greek. Luke is known as the divine doctor, probably a Gentile. And this is something that if you read other classics, you realize there are specific parallels, actually, to the trial of Socrates, which also happened in the Areopagus, mm-hmm. um, ah. where he was, you know, eventually condemned for the very things that Paul is being accused of, misleading the people that Socrates was some 150, 200 years before. Um, We all know how that ended. Socrates ended up drinking hemlock as his execution. Paul, being a Greek speaker, would have been aware of this because Plato was the dominant philosophy of the time, and he would have been familiar with it, and so he would have been fine to get the heck out of there. So that's what's going right. on here. But the big and important part is this concept of the natural gospel that comes out of this. That, right. you know, we, we realize God's presence. And although you might name it in idols, the real presence of the divine rests only in the unknown or unnamed God that you have this, what you thought was this extra throwaway shine just to, you know, cover your butts and make sure you had them all. Accounted was for. more like that presence that you haven't yet been able to capture by all of these idols yeah. and temples. Yeah. And that is the God that we all just feel inherently. And then he uses their own poetry against them, which is just adorable. Paul is if nothing if not a great rhetorician. Yep. So. Rhetorish? Rhetoric. Oh, okay. I guess it was just Hunter over here snoring. Rhetorish. Hear that different. Rhetorish. Very rhetoric. This is very rhetoric. Would you rhetorish. like a little rhetorish on that hot dog? Little um, rhetorish. No, but that phrase, in him we live and move and have our being, mm-hmm. we all recognize it as biblical, but we all think it was originally biblical, and it's not, mm-hmm. because he's quoting their own poets yeah. when he says that. And we, of and, course, use that quite often in the daily office in prayer. Oh, it is. It's one of the prayers. Yeah. yeah. So you, we live and move and have our being. But that's part of what he's trying to capture is this God you experience, the one in whom you live and move and have your being, this one that you had not been able to name is not just sort of the remainder or the remainder trust. But, it is but is the God. The one. Yeah. And we know so, and we know him through through Jesus Christ who was crucified and resurrected. And that God, what he does is use the resurrection as proof that Jesus, he says, 
let's see, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world and he's appointed him and you'll know it was him. Mm-hmm. And he proved it by raising him from the dead. Yeah. We're all assured by that because Jesus has been raised by the dead, raised from the dead. Right. Yeah. Right. But if you don't believe that, but again, here's something I just want to throw in there that I had never thought of when, until I was in seminary. And that is there was so much um, motivation on the part of the Romans, on the part of the Jewish temple leaders, so much motivation to actually find a body of Jesus. Oh, yeah. That the fact that it was never found and coupled with the way in which the story of Jesus changed people's lives and just set this whole Mediterranean basin just on fire within a hundred years. And the fact that a whole bunch of dudes were willing to admit that the witnesses to it were women. Yeah. That is absolutely confounding if it's not true. Yeah. And that's uh, part of what this is. They can laugh at resurrection, but they didn't undo it. They didn't ever persuade anyone that it didn't happen. Now, to this day, Greece is still a very Christian nation. Yeah. Well, so. And based on the story of women, yeah, it's huge. And nobody was ever able to unprove it. And they, you know, there was every motivation on everybody who had any power to demonstrate that it wasn't true. And they never did it. And it's just yeah. astounding when you really think of it. So, what does this have to do with us today? For me, you know, I guess maybe I'm just stuck because, you know, I recently did a, led a pilgrimage to, to Turkey and Greece in the footsteps of St. Paul. And uh, we, went, we went to the Acropolis and saw the Parthenon and, and all these things. But, like, coming back down afterwards, I was like, okay, we got to go over to the, uh, the Areopagus. You know, it's just like this chunky little hill that's, you mm-hmm. know, people have chipped parts off of it and taken it home. Oh, really? For, yeah, so it's all kind of oh been chiseled God. down. The temple that was on it, completely gone. But standing on top of it with the group of pilgrims I was leading, I, I read them this. Mm-hmm. And I got to say, this, of course is, you did. this was one of the places where like the hair stood up on my neck and talking about this because the realization of the actual danger that Paul was in that we don't really realize because we read this as kind of more of a rhetorical device than the fact that yeah, he was really on the line here. So for me, what stands out is, what are you willing to stand up and be on the line for? Mm. You know? Wow. The God, yeah, we're not much. The God of all, all creation, the aspects of which you have made these idols to explain, you know, what's important? Are you going to be, are you going to still go with the idols of life? And we have lots of idols now. I'm not talking about, you know, we don't all have statues of Zeus and stuff in our house anymore. No, but but we have fame, idols. Fame, greed, money, power. whatever it is. Yeah. The things that you yearn for more than you yearn to know God. Are you willing to set those aside and believe in the God of life and resurrection and put it on the line? What stands out for you? Well, I mean, again, I hadn't really... I hadn't, I hadn't really thought of him as this being such a dangerous moment for him. I mean, I did know that a little, but what stands out for me? Part of what stands out for me is that phrase, as though he needed anything. Because I've been, one of the things I've been doing during this pandemic time is virtual morning prayer for two churches every morning. Mm-hmm. And 
what we have been reading, if you go along with the morning prayer lectionary, we've gone through Exodus Mm -hmm. and we're now in Leviticus and we're hearing all about the worship of God and what God requires and what first what the priests have to wear and what the priests have to do and how many shekels each plate has to weigh and and the, the blood of the different animals and where you do it and all that how just distorted all of this has become how confusing it is to know what does god want from me what does god need from me is god the god who wants you know there are psalms and things that say i don't want your sacrifices what do you think i'm hungry like i don't need that everything's mine anyways what's up everything's mine anyway i made it if i want something i'll get it but deep inside tim i think we all those of us who experience god or the idea of god like the people who made a temple to an unknown god feel as if somehow there's something we have to do to prove our worth to god Ah. or that god demands something of us like we said a bit last week the jesus prayer or money or membership in a church or something this is hard if you're gonna try to reduce all of this to an equation it's very confusing it's only when you think of it as relationship that it makes any sense at all because it's not like my husband needs anything from me except you know if he's sick i'm the guy to bring him his medicine or whatever (laughs) we need it in the sense that if we don't love each other there's nothing there you have to feed a relationship, yeah. like all the people with their sourdough starters right now, apparently. <laughs> you have to feed your sourdough oh, starter. It's, it's a pet. You have to keep it fed. Yeah. Or else it, yeah. yeah, like a pet rock. Um, but if you don't feed a relationship, there's no there there. Yeah. And it's in that sense that this makes sense. But when I got to that and I was reading it, you know, I almost laughed out loud as though he needed anything. <laughs> He says that so lightly, except elsewhere, you know, we've got standards for how we need to live and we need to love and all of that. But it's not about that's our offering to God so that God won't hate us. No. It's what you do when you're in relationship. That's a really good segue. You're looking at me and nodding. That's a really good segue, actually, into the gospel. (laughs) Well, thank God. Okay, because I got nothing. I never have nothing. Oh, my God. The gospel is... From John chapter 14, verses 15 through 21. Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, because he abides with you, and he will be in you. I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. And in a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me, because I live. You also will live. On that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. They who have my commandments and keep them are those who love me. And those who love me will be loved by my Father, and I will love them and reveal myself to them. And here endeth the lesson. So these are familiar words for us, having come just a few weeks ago through Holy Week, because these are the words from the Holy Thursday Gospel reading. This is all part of the Great Commandment 
um, which Monday Thursday gets its name from the, the mandate, the mandatum. And we don't hear that bit because it falls down in chapter 15, verse 12, where Jesus says, and this is my commandment, that you love one another as another I have loved you. I've loved you. So keeping, when, when Jesus says, you'll keep my commandments, those are the commandments. The other commandments that Jesus references directly are love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your strength, and all your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. That's it. These are, these are the fruits, if you will, of whether or not we love Jesus. The you will keep my commandments is the future active indicative tense. Which, oh, yeah, I was just about know, to say that. Which means that it is, <laughs> it is an expectation. If you love me, you will, right? Um, it it's like been... your mother looking at you with her eyebrow up. You will be home. Oh, yeah. Like that? Yeah. I mean, yeah. You, you might not be, but if you aren't... If you, then you, you understand. Have, then you have violated what was supposed to you happen. You have to answer. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, ain't, you ain't living right, son. You're going to get the right. shoe. <laughs> Go get the shoe. Yeah. Oh, so, my God. All my mom had to do was put up her eyebrow or call me Virginia. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. I get the Timothy James and I just hid. It was... Oh, my God. I know. Virginia K. But Jesus is also in this beginning to make the promises about how he'll return, but also that he he will send somebody else, an advocate, to take care of us. An advocate being the paraclete, one who is like a lawyer, but also somebody that you would take to the gate with you to plead your cause if you wanted to go buy your first piece of land or anything like that. So in general, kind of somebody who is almost like a godfather, somebody who is not in the family, but who could vouch for you. And that's the Holy Spirit. And that is how we know that we're not orphaned, because though Jesus, we no longer see, we know that he lives and his spirit, the Holy Spirit, comes and dwells in us. So that's what I got to say about that. So I actually find this, this is a classic example of something in the Gospel of John that to me just sounds like a bunch of restating the same sentence over and over again, and it just makes me kind of dizzy. Part of what he has been saying all along is, if you know my father, you know me. Mm -hmm. And so he's now saying this, so this is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. I know Jesus thinks he's talking plainly here, (laughs) but I just, honestly, this stuff makes me dizzy. The basic thing he's saying, which I'm sure is where we get the idea of the Trinity, is that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit or the Advocate are all one. Mm -hmm. And if you know one, you know the other. That's right. And yet they're also different. And he says all this as if it's supposed to be so plain to us, and it's not. I think he's saying this because he knows it's not plain to us and he's trying to make it plain. I mean, this is like it. He's at, this is during the, the farewell discourse at the last right. supper. And it's his last chance to kind of drum into all these oh, what a good thick-headed point. people. He knows it's not, he knows we don't get it yeah. and he's trying to make it as plain as possible. But in some ways it's just so hard to grasp. It's just beyond our ability to articulate. And yeah. to him, it's so obvious. 
Yeah, because it's him, and he lives it. It's right, right. It's just, it's just, it just is. <laughs> right, right. So, like, what's your problem? This is him because he knows what's about to happen, and he also, though, knows that he will rise in three days. But those three days are going to be pretty horrible for all involved. Well, and then he also knows. Okay, well, in John's gospel, we presume he knows. The other gospels, we don't. John's gospel gives us a Jesus at his crucifixion who's much more like knows what's coming. Yeah. I think that seeing Jesus die is gut-wrenching and they don't understand it. And even though they've heard Jesus say these things, they still don't understand it and they never did. And then when Jesus is resurrected, of course, they don't believe it at first, and then they believe it, and then Jesus goes away again. Yeah. And that's... But, and but he, not before he breathes on them the Holy Spirit. Right. Which is also kind of a funny scene. Yeah. Which we wouldn't do right now in the I COVID think, time. No. Oh, my God. It's like somebody put on Facebook, remember the days when you used to somebody used to blow on a cake and we'd all eat it? <laughs> yeah. I, um, but... I think part of what we're getting around to again and again is that some of this stuff just has to be experienced. It is too difficult to explain. Like the way in which the Romans or the Greeks experienced something in themselves and felt compelled to make a temple to an unknown God. Mm -hmm. Jesus is saying some of this you're just going to understand as you go on. And you'll realize that if you know me, you know my father. Yeah. And and you're not this... going to be alone because the advocate will be with you to help guide you in this, in your discipleship. And so let's talk about that for a minute, Tim. How is it then, you know, this is another one of those promises that sometimes it feels like it's an empty one. You know, I think we all have felt times when we're, when we feel alone, sure. when we feel orphaned. Yeah. When we don't feel like the spirit of truth is present, or certainly if the spirit of truth is present, the spirit of truth isn't making herself known very well. So this is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. What are we to make? Well, in that case, are we are we abiding correctly? Right? That's the next line. You know him because he abides in you and he will be with you. Yeah, but it's so... I mean, so I just had a conversation with somebody earlier this week you know, because this is what you do when you're a priest, <laughs> about Jesus being fully human. Mm-hmm. Jesus, having been fully human, understands how difficult it is to abide, yeah. understands how difficult it is, which I'm sure is why God and Jesus realized, yeah, they were going to need somebody. <laughs> They're going to need somebody, another part of this Trinity, to be there with them forever because... It's hard. It is. So somebody also asked me recently, how do I get through this COVID stuff? How do I deal with my own doubts? How do I keep myself grounded? And I said two things. One is my faith practices. Mm-hmm. They're essential. You know, like you can't. Don't feel like praying. Continue. Pray anyway. Well, and the thing is, is if I've never prayed, I'm not going to get as much out of it. No. Right. Because it's like exercising or something. You know, yeah. you can't run a marathon if you've never run no. a block. And you also just develop the habit of muscle memory of it. Yeah. Another thing is just a piece of scripture that I have that I keep referring to that sort of pops into my head when I need it. 
And what I didn't say is that the scripture that pops into my head when I need it is one of those things that I attribute to the Holy Spirit. Mm. Because I have eyes to see and ears to hear the Holy Spirit, to call the sort of coincidences and things that happen. I call those things. Spirit things. Yeah. Yeah. Like when I'm sitting there thinking, which has happened to me over and over again during these however many years it's been that we've been on this Corona tide. When I start thinking to myself, oh my God, this is so much work. Nobody's really reading or watching these. It's so much work. Why am I even doing this? And then seriously, my phone will ping and it will be somebody saying, in case you ever think that nobody's watching these, these mean everything to me and they're keeping me sane. Mm-hmm. Those are, we could call them coincidences, but I experience them as the Holy Spirit giving me what I needed. I think they absolutely are. Well, and I could go through my life just not noticing them, but there's something about noticing them. They happen to me all the time. And I feel seen and cared for. Mm. And if you don't think to look at those kinds of things as God's presence in your life and then just keep saying, well, God doesn't answer my prayers and God isn't here. And I don't don't mean to make that sound like I'm blaming people. It's just that it takes some training. It takes training. It's, uh, it it absolutely does. Training with a lowercase t, not seminary. It's not, it's not just sitting, you know, it's actively to abide is to live with as if, in, oh my God! As if in a home <laughs> together, right? Like you during just, a coronavirus, you just don't sit in a home and not do anything. You have to do things right. to keep the home up with all the other people who are in the home and to invest and, in it. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so oh boy, that's something we all feel right now, don't we? Yeah. Is how much work it is to abide with people. Yeah, it takes work, but also there's a lot of grace in it, and you need to just do it. And hopefully you do it in the good times when it's easy so that you're prepared for the hard times. One of the reasons why Christians fast is so that we are prepared to go hungry in a bad time and not be upset about it. Mm -hmm. So it's just a process of the spiritual exercise of living life as as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ. Should we do a... Okay, Lectio. I think it's my turn to pick. Yeah. Okay. I see how extremely religious you are in every way. I see how extremely religious you are in every way. I see how extremely religious you are in every way. Interesting choice. Glad I didn't disappoint. What's, what's the spirit doing there? You me to go first or you? So for me, the thing that stands out is the difference between religiosity and faithfulness. Mm-hmm. I see that you're religious in every way. I, in my life, have been a very religious person. And there have been many times in my life of being a very religious person that I've been insufferable. <laughs> and self-assured and not now, an absolute Tim. an absolute horror you know of a person to be around because that's not really what it's about it's about faithfulness mm. and 
you know, you can have all the statues in the world and pray all the Hail Marys around a rosary that you want and go to every single, all the garments. every single Eucharist that happens at your church and you can still be a person who, though exceptionally religious, is not following faithfully the great commandments of Jesus that we're told we are to do. Yeah. And I've been guilty of that in my past, and I don't think that you'll find a Christian who can honestly claim that they're not a person who's guilty of that in their past. And so I think that that's an opportunity. I feel it is an opportunity to consider what faithfulness is in this time, as opposed to the desperation for needing to consume something religious that you're not getting right now because we're stuck. Mm -hmm. So, you know how you said you're not sure there's a Christian who could say whatever it was you said? I actually would have been the opposite. I was more like sort of the extreme example of what I spent a lot of my life being is the spiritual but not religious. Hmm. The I have faith, I believe in God, I'm not sure I had, I wouldn't have even known what the term systematic theology meant. (laughs) But I... I'm not sure um, I still do. (laughs) I do, but like, yeah, I don't... I know what they Um, think it says. I really had very little interest in religion because Mm -hmm. what I saw growing up all my best friends were Catholic and I wasn't Catholic. And so what I saw was everything that I didn't fit. Mm -hmm. I didn't belong. Mm -hmm. And the other part of my family was the all Jesus all the time channel family. And I didn't fit there either. So I felt as if religion wasn't for me, but I never felt like God wasn't for me. Hmm. So I totally get that idea that Paul was both rhetorically being snarky about it, but also on a deeper level, trying to capture that sort of unnamed experience of God that people had. When I see those two words together, extremely religious, I just innately recoil from that. That is just not a good thing, Mm -hmm. says the woman who's been an Episcopal priest for coming up on 13 years. Um, being extremely religious is a dangerous thing to me. You've also explained a danger of it. I think extreme religiosity is how we get fundamentalism. Yeah. It's a commitment to the trappings and not the underlying. Not the heart of it. Yeah. The abiding. And and yeah, when you said abiding is about living with, we know now, we have a better picture now, even for people, couples who've been married, the idea of being almost completely trapped in your house for weeks and weeks and weeks with the same people is a very different, it tests you in ways that at, that many of us haven't been tested before. And none of us can be extremely anything. Mm-hmm except generous right now or graceful or it's just too much to maintain so i hear that i see how extremely religious you are in 
every way. And that is Yeah, you're you're religious, but you're missing danger. the point. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. So what's yeah. your prayer? Whew. I think my prayer today doesn't have anything to do with what we just talked about, but it's it's for all the people who are just regularly suffering. Hmm. Um the people who have cancer or difficult ah, pregnancies yeah. or difficult marriages or mental illness. I all, think all those all things of those that are things. exacerbated. Yeah. yeah. And so people are afraid to go to the doctor or mm-hmm. afraid to go to the hospital. And yet thinking that their concerns don't really maybe matter so much or find it harder to get help. I just want them to know that they are seen. Hmm. And, you know, I'm just going to keep praying for them. And we have some people in that situation that I know and millions more that we don't. What's yours? Uh, my my prayer is that we learn to abide. That mm-hmm. we realize that it is an activity and not a state. And that we put in the work. A lifelong yeah. activity. A lifelong commitment. And not a state. Oh, gosh, Tim, that smarts. Put in the work. Oof. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Okay. Thanks, thanks for listening. If you like what and, you hear, um, rate us. Send us emails. Tim at theirreverend.com. That's Tim at theirreverend.com. <laughs> Yeah, Come on, we paid just, money. We paid money for the uh, the email. Send us emails. I know somebody. All right, and I totally know the, I'm, the picture I'm going to put somebody in a banana suit. Got to find that. Nice, abide yeah. in a banana. And abide in a banana. All right, that uh, has Thank a lot of appeal to me, Jenny. <laughs> All right, <laughs> bye everybody. Oh my God, I see what you did there. Okay, see you next week. Right. I'm recording. I am recording. All right, then that makes two of us. Good. That's like the first ingredient for a podcast. It is that we be recording. Yes. All right. Here we are. You ready? Recording. You ready? Yep. One. Namaste. <laughs> What's wrong with you? I don't know. It's just what I thought of when I looked at the two of us with our hands in this prayer position. Okay. One, two, three.